Airing from the No Sponsorship Studios, this is Buddy Walk with Jesus, where real life and the kingdom of God connect. Now, your hosts, Joe and Edgar. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, to be able to hear what you have to give us, Father. I pray right now that every word that's not of you would be taken from our lips before spoken, and that we would be able to really just delve in into what you have to say. Father, I thank you for Joe and all that he brings to conversation. I thank you most of all for indwelling us, all the listeners, with your presence, Father, that they would know and be convinced of your great love for them, that you meet us where we couldn't meet ourselves, where we had given up, and you love us beyond measure. Father, I thank you for this opportunity, and I just pray you would bless this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, as we get started, we want you guys to know two things that you are prayed for and you are loved deeply. Uh, A couple of quick reminders as we get started um, that you can, for all the links, for all the things, you can check us out at buddywalkwithjesus.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Um, Do not hesitate to reach out if you are in need of prayer, prayer at buddywalkwithjesus.com. So we want to talk about something that we have um, found ourselves in a bit of a controversial seat for. Um, if, if you've been riding with us for any period of time, you know that we pretty squarely sit in the camp that you cannot lose your salvation, otherwise known as once saved, always saved. And for the last several weeks, we've been having more conversational things than pointing towards the audience per se. So this is going to be a combination of that. We kind of want to address why it is that we find ourselves pretty firmly in this camp. And what we're looking to do here is to simulate conversation. You know, this is something that we're not necessarily going to change everybody's mind when it comes to this. Um, This is more of a... um, a conversation starter to be able to stimulate articulation about all of this kind of stuff. You know, we talk a lot about how, um, how dangerous blind dogma is, you know, my pastor told me to believe this. And so I believe this sort of thing. So regardless of, of what side that you sit on the fence, whether you think that you can lose your salvation or you don't think that you lose your salvation or that you can lose your salvation. Um, it's important to poke and prod your faith. You know, we've talked about how the deconstructive faith ends up, results in the strongest faith because you've, you've poked and prodded and challenged what it is that you believe. Um, that's why I don't believe in blind faith. I believe that 
faith can be tested. I feel like faith should be tested. You should take inventory of what it is that you believe and not just stand behind what somebody said in a pulpit and take that for gospel truth. So I'm going to start this off being somebody that is newer to the faith. And I can confidently say that I can understand where people are coming from when they believe that they can lose their salvation. Um, there's a very, very compelling argument to be had when it comes to the ability to lose your salvation. I'll just be honest about it. Um, but for me, I understand full well the level that can that can be achieved of um, thinking and being completely convinced. I'm not just talking about thinking in an abstract way. I'm talking about the kind of person who would die for their convictions thinking that they've got the moral high ground that they think that they've got the religious high ground that they think that they that they have it all figured out and that they have this understood but it results in very very radical thinking and, and very very legalistic thinking so i entered into this very very skeptical and my first interaction with god was one that was experiential experiential not necessarily founded in a whole bunch of textbook um, foundation. It was after I had that come to Jesus moment that I tested all of it, that I went to the, to the Bible and I poked and I prodded and I said, okay, the Bible makes a lot of claims. Can I test these claims? And what happens when I test these claims? And so it's this weird in-between of experiential faith coupled with academic testing to where I get to today. And I fundamentally understand how easy it is to find yourself wrapped up in religion to find yourself wrapped up in the nice warm blanket of this is the this is these are the rules that that we abide by as Christians because that's safer than having a wild ride with God than having um, a full-on immersive relationship with God it's a lot easier to say black and white these are the rules this is the text. But when you do that, when you embark on a religious kind of relationship with God, you end up in this space of losing the character of God, not actually taking into consideration what we know of the character of God. Somebody who's way longer in the tooth and way more experienced than me once told me that it is, God is not complicated. We overcomplicate it as Christians. And I have found that to be incredibly true for a lot of reasons, but namely speaking, the more complex that you make a thing, 
the more vulnerable you make it all in the same way because you're adding more chinks in the chain, more opportunities to be able to exploit something and all of that. And it's no different with religion. You can add a whole lot of caveats. You can add a whole lot of pointing to the scriptures and saying, this is this and this is that, and dying on the hill of dogma and stance, but lose sight of what the Bible says in its complete and totality. And it's a little funny that I say that because even before we hit the record button, Edgar and I were talking about how this is a conversation where those of us that believe in eternal security, those of us that believe in once saved, always saved, we are the ones that haven't necessarily uh, read the Bible in its complete and totality, that we are the people that like to cherry pick. And the truth is, is that I challenge that, that it's not the exact opposite. That the people that believe that you can lose your salvation, I challenge that you're not taking the whole Bible in in its complete and totality. That there are very specific verses that you stand on to justify a very particular point of view. Um, Whereas with the whole of Scripture, I'm going to be honest. and, And I'm not... I'm quoting here. I wish I was I wish I was witty enough to say that I figured this out, but I'm pretty sure I'm quoting John MacArthur, but it's been quoted a lot of times by a lot of different people. If you could lose your salvation, you would. Because we're not perfect. Because we screw up. Because we mess it up a lot of the time. And this is part of where I come from when I argue that these are the kinds of things that draw people away from God because we sit here and argue the the finer points of religion and we lose sight of the fact that we are all sinners in need of God's grace, that there is no such thing as one sin more than another. And I understand the unforgivable sin, but that just means not coming to reconciliation with Holy Spirit. That's what in in very shorthand terms, the unforgivable sin is going to the grave, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. There you go. So with that taken out of it, you have the Bible constantly pointing towards this uniformity to sin so being able or pointing out different instances of sin and saying okay you can fall you can choose to not follow god yeah i can choose to step away and to not follow god but that doesn't mean that i lose my salvation that that's ignoring everything that the bible says about rewards about the rewards that we have waiting for us in heaven. I understand that 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 talks about, I understand that that most commonly gets quoted talking about 
um, not taking your rewards on earth, but the other half of that is taking your rewards in heaven. And so, yes, we can make mistakes. We can mess it up. But if you're talking about a Christian that has wholesale walked away from the faith, okay, my immediate reaction is this. Were you a Christian in the first place? And that's a hefty question to ask. But if you have the kind of faith that says, I'm willing to walk away from this, then I question whether or not you were a Christian in the first place. And I think that that's a founded question to ask. And I, and I say this for speaking from experience, and I, and I want to take everybody down memory lane here for a moment, and even for you, Edgar, because our, our, our friendship was founded in a place of us having a commonality in our faith. We literally met at a men's Christian retreat. We, we met under Christian pretenses. And a good portion of our friendship has been under the guise of, I'm the young guy that questions and pokes and prods, and you're the older guy that do, that, that's a little bit longer in the tooth, and all of these things. But I feel like I go to this well a lot of the time about talking about this ability to be able to play character that i go to this well a lot to talk about this but i talk about this to raise the alarm for anybody that's listening people need to understand that you can very easily have an inherited faith that you don't actually believe in that you can be convinced that you believe in a thing just because somebody told you to believe in a thing and i mean that from the point of view that you can go a large part of your life believing that you are a Christian, but not actually having heart matter. That's part of why I have such a problem with dogma, is dogma is fertile breeding ground for people that believe in the moment that they are saved, that they are, that they are Christian, that they believe in God. But the second that the fires come, the second that the testing comes, that falls away, that becomes something way different. I think the parable of the seeds and the sower really lends to that. The rock, uh, the seed that fell among the rocks, mm -hmm. they were there for a short time with the cares of the world, caused them to fall away. Mm -hmm. My prime piece of, I'm gonna say evidence, if we're looking at this like a courtroom drama, speaking to how much I know you love procedurals, if we're looking at this like a courtroom drama, it's too, my, my biggest piece of quote-unquote evidence is twofold. One, the Bible is very powerful regardless of whether or not you put it in context. And I mean that, that you can hear mighty arguments taken out of context and spoken into whatever you want spoken into them. There's a lot of things that get spoken into if you take them out of context. And that coupled with, if you take the Bible as one continuous narrative, one whole story with God as the main character the whole time, then you can see a lot of things about the character of God. 
you can see a constant in the way that God has always interacted with humanity. And you're talking about people that they sent people out to, to die. They killed people, murdered viciously. And these are the same people that we celebrate. We celebrate people like David. We celebrate people like Paul. We celebrate people like Peter. People that were imperfect creatures. People that were broken. People that messed it up. And God looks past those things. God looks past our transgressions when they are brought forward and truly repented for. What is the commonality between every single thing that we saw with each one of those three people? Let's take those three people as, as examples. What's the common thread? They all repented for their sins. They all tur actively turned away. Not just, God, I'm sorry, and then went back to doing it. Nope. Actively took a stance against doing that and about faced away from that. And the thing is, is that we saw in each one of those people that they still struggled with sins of the flesh. I don't just mean that uh, sexually. The sins of the flesh commonly gets used as a, as a euphemism for sexual sins. It's, it's a thorn in the side. It's wrestling with your own self. It, that, that's more of what I mean. That we see these people that messed it up that still were able to turn to the cross. And if you take to the fullest extent of the letter of the law that you can lose your salvation, that you can turn away from Jesus, then what happens to each one of those men? What do you think? It's a good and a bad? We see that Peter denied Jesus three times. What? During that time? Okay, he wasn't saved. But when he reconciled that with God, okay, he was saved again. You, you're... You hit this point of splitting hairs about our sins and about the things that we do wrong when you really flush out this whole idea of your ability to lose your salvation. Mm. If you don't mind, I would like to jump in. Go ahead. This is a big topic, and there's more conversation than can be had in, than in one episode. So I'm just being upfront, I'm not going to do it justice. Once saved, always saved. Joe, let me ask you a question. If a father got upset with his son because he did something wrong and disowned him, would you can would you yourself of your own thinking and who you are think that that is an ideal father a good father absolutely not why because there's you're denying forgiveness you're denying relationship you are saying that whatever the transgression was whatever the issue was that now takes up the sum total of their identity in your eyes. Okay. So now the son says, I'm sorry, dad. I'm really, really sorry. Can you forgive me? Do you forgive him? Yeah. Okay. Son goes out, does something different that's wrong, really bad. And you disown him. Are you a good father? I just shouldn't say you, but is that father a good father? 
No. In your I, eyes. I, I, I still say no. Okay. He does it, uh, repents, says, I'm sorry, goes ahead and does something again. Bad. I, I, again, again, no. There's a, there's a point of, there's a point of wondering. Don't steal whether... my stuff. <laughs> so let's just, let, let's just, I'll just leave it at no. Okay, good. So I'm going to take it hopefully in a different area and you can feel free to jump. Hold that thought. Just hold that thought. It still could be good if I don't say what it is. So if you being evil know how to give a good gift to your sons, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit of those who ask him? So God doesn't equate himself with a bad father. He's equating himself to those who know how to do good for their children, how to take care of their children, how to provide for their children, how to do. So there is a concept right there that God says, I'm above man. Yeah. Okay. And so if we ask for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give us something terrible. Could someone say, I have to walk eggshells around my God now, my father God, because I could lose my salvation and then I'll be thrown out and I have to come back in. So we have this yo-yo effect. That is a very unfortunately common thing, the whole eggshells thing. That feeling like, oh, I messed up, so now I have to walk on eggshells. Okay. If you are coming coming at it in whatever the whatever the sin is, if it's a sin sexually, if it's a sin with a substance, whatever the substance is, whatever that is, if you say if you do it, okay, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, okay, and then you feel it for 20 minutes, and then 30 minute mark, it's and you do it again, and so on and so forth. The question starts to become. Are you sorry? Are you actually repentant? And do you actually care about whether or not you are upsetting the person that your your father, right? Your your parent. On top of that, you can get lost in the ritual of that, right? I mess up and I say and I, and I come and I'm sorry and now I got to worry about whether or not they're, they stay mad at me and all of those kinds of things. And that can also be transposed onto God, right? You and I both, Edgar, we both have daddy issues. I'm going to be honest. So it would be very easy for us both to come to God with very negative connotations behind him being our heavenly father. Lord knows, and you've walked with me long enough that you know I gave God a bad rap because my own issues with my father. Like that that's just something that I that I've had to work with work work through with God. So I think that some of those effects that we have from our own lives end up getting transposed onto God. So we approach our faith in the same way that we approach our relationship with our earthly parents. Yeah. I, I, I want to go with the whole concept of, okay, now God who we know is better than any human father and the best human father would, I would say would not disown his child. He would try to reel in or help or however his child. 
That being said, God the Father is perfect. Knowing that, and this is me logically, I haven't even gone into scripture yet. Logically, is it logical, does it make logical sense that God says, now hear me out, okay, I want to save men from their sins, and I want to do it perfectly so that all the sins are covered, unless they make a mistake that I, I'm not going to cover. Because I know they fell making a mistake, but from that moment on, they're going to live perfectly. Right. No, that's not going. That's not what occurred. I believe God actually, in the and I believe the scriptures hold to this, that God says, "I'm going to make the perfect sacrifice," and I believe that term is used. Perfect sacrifice. Yep. God lived a perfect life, and He became sin. He, he who knew no sin for us, and now. I'm to, supposed to say logically, oh, by the way, it makes sense that there's a loophole that I could do something to mess this all up. Right. I'm going to do probably more time today than I can count, not intentionally, and I will I will do some things that are egregious, whether knowingly or out of a fit of anger or whatever. So does that mean the sacrifice is null and void? That got what God put in there cannot compensate for my inadequacies. It does not seem logical to me. And I had a pastor ask me a question. His was on basis of of he had answered his question about once saved, always saved, on the basis of it was something on people. But I lean on the on God, who God is. Could he have made a sacrifice that was imperfect, a plan of salvation that was imperfect? Was that his character? From everything that he did, it was good. It was perfect. You know, he doesn't create mistakes like that. So what am I supposed to believe? That now I am the one who decides whether I go to heaven or hell because I can decide to sin or not sin and therefore it's not covered. And I, I think, and I lean exactly with where you say, where is a person's heart in this? Did Was there a transaction of salvation and the whole being, the whole mind, not just the heart, but the whole mind. Was there a transaction that says, I want to live for God. I want what he has. And therefore my life starts to change. Or do I sit and say, you know, I love the idea of cheap grace. Oh yes, God. Oh, by the way, I'm going to go sleep with this one. I'm going to steal from that one. I'm going to run over that person. And I'm going to just live whatever I want. Cheap grace all the way. And I think the Bible does speak to cheap grace too in, in, um, one of the parables, not parables, when Jesus talks about the guy, the guy who came in with dirty wedding clothes, to me that's like cheap grace. God already understands a person's heart. And he has made definitive statements about salvation. And we know that people say it's Calvinistic, um, you know, the, the predestination and all that. But there are absolute statements in scripture, absolute statements. And if you choose, well, you could lose your salvation because you made a mistake, egregious. If you were like King David and made one of his mistakes, you would be going to hell right. if you died at that moment without repenting. Yep. You would go to hell. No questions asked. That's, that's what the statement would be. But then what happens to 
the scriptures that are very, very um, definitive. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come will separate us. So if, if, if we go with that, then what is a sin? It's something that we're doing. It's not what God did. It's something we're doing. It's something that comes out of our own willful desire. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now that's actually talking about Jesus's sheep. They know his voice. And no one can snatch them out of his hand. If I were to read the, the context of that, it says, But you do not believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. Again, relationship. I know them and they follow me. Again, relationship. And we see the, the transformation statement there. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. And I I think in the Greek that means anyone else. That means every other created person. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. The father and I are one. So that to me is a definitive statement. But it goes back to, is the person really following God? Or is the person just along because they want the fire insurance or they were told to sign on the dotted line and they're saved and they don't have to do anything more. So what is the essence of their understanding of salvation? And have we done a, a valid job in showing people what salvation is? Right. Salvation is a changed life. Salvation is connection with God. Salvation is not going to church every Sunday, reading your Bibles every day. Those come out of that and they are not the markers for people evidence of a person being saved because there are a lot of people who are in churches and they say some of the most demonic things i've ever heard yeah. um and that's not a judgment again i mean truly they speak against scripture and they're in a church and some of them wear the label pastor but there are there are statements that God says about what he has done. And I, for one, am not comfortable saying I override God. Right. Um, and I, I don't mean this the way it sounds, and sort of I do. Sometimes I wonder if the people who take the other position say it because they cannot believe the way somebody is living. And therefore, they're saying this has to be for that behavior to make sense to them. Now that person may not be a Christian. They may think they're Christian. They may be, uh, may have believed the wrong things about what a Christian is, or they may be in a stage of growth that is very at the beginning. This whole concept of you lose your salvation once you do something wrong and you have to ask God again for it. And the Bible talks about crucifying Christ again, you know, this is not something we're supposed to be, do, be doing at all. I'm going to go into Philippians 1, 4 through 6. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God 
who began a good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Again, it's talking about people who have a body of evidence that they are drawing near to God. Doesn't mean that they're perfect, but that God is going to complete that work. God takes it upon himself to complete that work. We see this mentioned throughout scriptures in various ways. One of the most recent ones we've talked about is one plants and one sows, but it's God that makes it grow. God does all the spiritual growing for us. He's the one that is responsible for that. All we can do is create an environment, plant a seed, water. That's the best we can do. You know, it is God who makes it grow. Thanks for tuning in to Buddy Walk with Jesus. For more information, check us out at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com. Look for us on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. You can also find us on Discord at the Buddy Walk Community for prayer and fellowship. And lastly, if you check out the episode description, we have a listener support link and we would love your support for this ministry. As always, know that you are prayed for and know that you are loved.